When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zachariah after his father, but Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What? They exclaimed. There's no one in all your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet, and to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. Instantly, Zachariah could speak again, and he began praising God. Awe fell upon the whole neighborhood, and the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, What will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior. From the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear. In holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us to the path of peace. John grew up and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel. I don't have the scientific research to back this statement up, but I assume the most asked question whatever. Um, assume that the most asked question during this season is what do you want for Christmas? I don't have the scientific data. I don't have the research. I haven't paid the money to have the study done. But I have a feeling that the most asked question during this season is what do you want for Christmas? There are um, YouTube video channels and uh, Pinterest boards dedicated on how to subtly drop hints at what you want for Christmas. Um, like their top five uh, videos, the top five ways to tell the person you love the most what you want for Christmas. Uh, it's not only a time when we actually ask for what we want, but we're like, in our gift giving, we give people what we want them to have, right? We see it and we're like, oh, I had to get this for you. This Billy Badmouth Bass what, it made me think of you. Like, I thought of you, and you needed this on your wall somehow. I wanted to give you this for Christmas. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but this season that we're in is not firstly about what you and I wanted. This season that we're in is not firstly about our wants. 
Thankfully, this season is about God being willing to provide our greatest need. And I know some of us may not think of the needs as more important, but realistically, the, what we need is actually greater than what we want. And I know growing up, I had this thought that I needed the new Nintendo. Like, game cartridge, put it in, let them, come on, boom, there it goes, it works now. Um, I needed the new Nintendo, and my parents would faithfully remind me, no, you want the new Nintendo, you need to get a job. <laughs> that was their response, and so if I was ever to say, and then my parents had this way of correcting me even in the midst of my saying it right, I'd be like, but I want the new Nintendo, and they'd be like, uh, 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 you would like the new Nintendo. We say these things politely, and I've passed it on to my kids. I mean, we do this at our house. When my, parent, when my kids are like, I want some juice! And I'm like, ah, ah, ah. You would like some juice, you know? Let's try that again. Um, but even in that midst of me getting the needs and wants confused, I think that this season helps you and I reflect on our greatest need. And not just our greatest need, but that we have a faithful God who desired to meet us and to provide what we needed most. Um, last week, we were talking about um, just the songs that were sung in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1 and 2. And, and obviously, Luke describes himself as someone who carefully investigates for us all that we're reading. It's not a careless look. It is a careful investigation. Luke was a doctor, and so he was a details guy. If you're not, if you're not satisfied with the ESPN ticker and just the scores... Luke's gospel is the one you want to read. It's the one with the details. It's the one that goes, hey, this is what was going on. This was who was there. This is the name of the person. This is the location. And these are all good things for us to know. Luke didn't stay vague in his research. He gives us great details, in fact, intimate details, specifically when it comes to the birth of these very two, two very important babies, one being the one who would announce the Savior of the world and the Savior of the world. If you remember Zechariah and Elizabeth last week, they were very old and without children. And one of the cries of their heart was that they would have a child, but we know that Gabriel, the angel, visits Zechariah, the priest, while he's praying and crying out for mercy to God. And Gabriel says, hey guys, guess what? You're going to have a child. You're going to have a baby. And Zechariah's like, okay, how is this going to work? And Gabriel's like, ah, I can't believe you doubted me. You're going to be quiet for the next nine months. I'm going to tell you about this child. He will not just be your child, but he will be the one who announces the greater child to come, the Savior of the world, and he will be a special child. John will be his name. You will name him John. And we know the story goes, he went back home, and uh, Elizabeth became pregnant in her very old age. And now we catch up to the, the birth of this promised child. John is to be born. It's time for him to be born, and just like nosy neighbors and community, having heard that this very old woman conceived a child, they're all like, it's time, we're all going with you, we're going to be around to make sure this really happens, can this really happen, can this lady give birth to a child, and it's this community coming around, and this family coming around, because they're all in wonder, they're like, how in the world is this happening, how is this possible, how is this lady, who is way beyond childbearing age, having a child, and so they all say, well, we're going to go with you because we got to check this thing out. And it's amazing to me that the crowd didn't necessarily mean 
that they were supporting Zechariah and Elizabeth. Because the first thing the crowd does is actually tells them, don't name him John. See, just because a crowd is present, it doesn't mean they support. It means that they're looking for a spectacle. It means they might be looking to see, hey, this is kind of causing some stir. This was on Twitter. TMZ reported about this. Facebook posts. I'm seeing pictures. I'm going to go check this thing out. Doesn't mean I'm invested. Just means I want to see how it plays out. So you have to be careful with the crowd. Just because there's a crowd doesn't mean they're in support of what is happening. And so they question the very thing that John was to be called. They said, don't do that. Why? Because, you know, Zechariah, Elizabeth, think of your family. Like, this is your only child. This is your family name we're talking about. Name him Zechariah. That makes sense. And Elizabeth adamantly says, his name is John. And then... This man who has not been able to speak, mind you, for nine months, makes this big motion. I don't know if that was the motion or not, but I feel like it was. And they bring him an Etch-a-Sketch, and he writes the name. His name is John. And in that moment, Zechariah's lips are unbound, and he's able to speak. And he's able to begin saying everything that he's probably been storing up for the last nine months. Think of it if you were struck silent for nine months. You had people wondering why you had to be quiet, what you didn't believe, probably talked about you. Is he really that great of a priest? Can he really be a good priest if he doesn't believe that God's going to give him what he prayed for? All of these things, all of these emotions, imagine the person sitting next to you. Wives, imagine if your husbands had to be quiet for nine months. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah! But imagine what would come out of their mouths. First thing. First thing to come off the lips of that had been silenced for nine months. First thing that had been floating around in the head, floating around going, I've got to say this out loud. And it wasn't a cursing. It wasn't a, well, y'all better get ready because I got some things to say to you. It wasn't that. Zechariah immediately turns to praise. It's in this moment that Zechariah speaks these words. And Luke makes sure we pay attention that it is not just Zechariah's words that we are hearing, but it is the very word of God. And in verse 67, then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has visited and redeemed His people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of His servant David, just as He promised through His holy prophets long ago. These words that Zechariah speaks point to how big the gospel is. These words that he speaks remind us of why we sing about born is the king of Israel. We live in, I live in Nashville, North Carolina. What does a king in Israel have to do with me? Everything. This is what Zechariah is announcing, the bigness of the gospel. Simply that God did not stay away and be a faraway God and be like, you know what? Your sins are forgiven. I'll do it from a distance. The gospel is that God came close. And he wasn't satisfied with staying far away. 
The gospel is that he did not stay away and kind of go, I forgive their, their sins are so gross from a distance. The gospel is that he has visited his people. See, this is why it's good news, that God did not stay far away from us, but he came close to a people who have other ideas of what should be most important and what we should love more than him. He did not stay away, but he came close and visited his people. The word is redeemed, almost, it's that, that, that picture of a ransom being paid that you and I have been under an oppression that we could not get ourselves out from, and he paid a price to bring us out from what we were being crushed by. Our greatest need has been met by God himself. It, wait, we didn't even know what to ask for. Like, we didn't even know how to say it. We didn't even know how to communicate what we needed. But God, in his mercy, according to Zechariah's words, decided way before the foundations of the world that he was going to meet our greatest need, not with a plan, not with a thing, not with an object, not with a tradition, but with himself. This is why it's such good news. This is why, during this season in particular, we'll turn our eyes not to what we want, hopefully, but we spend time going, God, thank you for meeting our greatest need. What is our greatest need? I believe if you were to ask that question in this world, you would get so many answers. Zechariah spends a few more moments talking about how we are now free to serve God. And I know for some of you that may sound so strange, like I'm free to serve God. Say it slowly. I'm free to serve God. That does not sound free, but the truth is his words make very clear what happens in the heart of someone who believes the gospel, that we are no longer, we're not slaves to sin anymore, but we've been freed to truly serve God without fear. You see, there are a lot of people who serve God with fear. Not just, I'm not just talking about this, the reverence all that the scripture speaks of, but they are afraid that somehow they're not measuring up. Somehow they're not good enough. Somehow they're going to do something wrong. They're going to say a wrong prayer. They're going to do a wrong thing. They're going to make a wrong mistake. And somehow God's going to be like, you're done. And the beauty of the gospel is that in Christ, faith, that he is who God says he is, the rescuer who would pay the price for your and my sin. We now, through faith, can serve God without fear. This isn't about people around us. This is about us knowing that we have been made right with a holy God, that he has made every way possible for us to be in right relationship with him. And now that relationship is one of God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Help me want that more than anything else in this world. And it's amazing that in Zechariah's tiny, short prayer that you and I possibly fly through when we're reading the Christmas story, it houses the gospel, the picture of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and what it causes for you and I, what happens to us in Christ. He then turns to his firstborn son, He turns to his firstborn son, who has had, at a very old age, mind you, 
I'm so glad you're not 16. <laughs> and he looks at his firstborn son. And he says, no one can tell me that God is not faithful. God has given us this promise. God has answered our prayers. God is faithful. No one can tell me that he's not because I am evidence of it. He is the one who has given light in the darkness. He has made the path to peace. And this is my son who I'm holding. And he is so faithful. (sighs) You're doing a good job. But this is a beautiful picture of a father who was fatherless, and God answers his prayer. And for a moment in Zechariah's prayer, he's able to go, oh yeah, thank you for this too. Thank you for meeting my deepest want and my deepest need at the same time. Thank you that it is good news. And now because he's seen this, he knows that hope and peace and the light breaking through, the dawn that is breaking, that this freedom from sin being rescued, this salvation, it wouldn't just be for him and holding his child and his wife. It would be for many who would see the rescuer. I know that there will be many more who will see the light breaking through, the shining in our darkness, and real peace will be made known. Listen to verse 76. And you, my little son, he's talking to John. You will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. What we long to be saved from This light shining, this path to peace, has everything to do with our sin being dealt with. And I know that we live in a day and an age that would suggest our greatest need is, well, we must make education available to everyone. I do believe so. Our greatest need is that we should raise the the financial gap between everyone else. Economic prosperity should be uh, everything, everything everyone should want should be. We should make this gap close, and I get that. World peace, we need world peace. We have to work for peace. And I know we live in a day and an age where everyone has their view and their ideas on what our greatest need is, but if the scripture is true, And God says and suggests that our greatest need is not an external need, but an internal need. You see, the sin and brokenness that keeps people, and here's the the honest truth. I know wealthy people that are greedy. I know educated people that steal and hurt people. I know people that say they're working for peace, but truly it's their agenda they're working for, and they will not have their agenda squashed. So is it really peace they're working for? You see, we, can't ex- we cannot go, hey, let's have all of these things and still not have sin dealt with. 
And what the gospel suggests is for us to be able to experience these things in full, whether it be world peace, economic prosperity, um, education, growing smarter, all of the things that we think are what our greatest needs are. And should we work towards those things? Absolutely. But when we treat them as Savior, you will find that we can sit in just as much darkness and anxiety with all three of those things. You see, Zechariah's song is that our greatest need has been met. The forgiveness of sin. The destruction of both the penalty of sin and the power of sin over a rebel's life. Made new and given hope. Now as the band comes and we continue in our worship this morning and just being able to celebrate what God has done. I understand how offensive we may believe this to be. I understand thinking, what? Okay, I've made a couple of bad decisions in my life. I've done some wrong things before, but I'm the problem? No, no, no. You see, this brokenness is wrapped around our hearts. It is intimately connected with us which is why only Jesus is able to reach to, cut away the power of and penalty of, and give us new life. This light breaking in on our darkness, this path to peace, this salvation, all of these things are not just religious people's thoughts. It's actually what we all want. Everything we do apart from God is a way to try and save ourselves, light our path, give us what we need. We think all of these objects will give us the peace we hope for. So light, peace, and salvation, this is not just Christian talk. This is humanity talk. You may label it with whatever you want, but the truth is we're all trying to save ourselves. And what rebellion and what sin is, is all of our self-salvation plans. That's what it is. The idea that somehow... I can save myself, I can light my own path, I can bring this peace. And what Zechariah's song clearly points out is that our greatest need has been met in the Savior who would come and sit on the throne of David forever. He is no normal king, but God himself met our greatest need. The gospel is simple. It's that God did not stay far away in our brokenness, but he came right up next to us and said, you have been running, and I'm actually what you need. That salvation plan you're looking for, that five-year plan you've got, that idea that somehow if you get X, Y, and Z, you're going to have that peace, it's all shifting sand. And the greatest need you have is right relationship with me. And it doesn't come about by any of your works. You didn't even know you wanted it or needed it. But the scripture, Luke's gospel, Zechariah's song, it suggests that God is willing to provide for our greatest need. Now, we're going to be singing a song in just a moment, uh, Joy to the World. 
And I know that some of you are probably comfortable in singing a song, Joy to the World, because it's talking about the world. But what about joy to me? Like, joy to the fact that Christ came close and saves me. Because I'm telling you folks, the secret to a Christ follower's life, and you might, you might have to ponder it a little bit, but Jesus, he has met our greatest need. It may not be our greatest want, but the forgiveness of sin is our greatest need. And the beauty of the gospel and the Christ follower's journey is that Christ, you begin to recognize him not just as your greatest need, but he actually becomes your greatest want. That's the power of the gospel transforming a heart. It's not just that he's what I need, it's actually what I want. That's why we can sing joy to the world, my heart included. And so this morning as we sing this song together, and I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand because these are songs that are declaration songs. And they're not just done with our lips, but they're done with our lives. And so as we sing together this morning, what may be a traditional song, and you may, could, you may have sung it a billion times, but my question to you this morning is Christ, A, has he met your greatest need? And for those of you that would say, I follow Christ, is he your greatest want? Because something changes when we understand the gospel. And this morning, I believe Zechariah's song is not just for him, but it's why we can sing, Born is the King of Israel, because it has everything to do with me. Lord, we ask that in these moments, you would help us see very clearly that our greatest need is right relationship with you, and there is no way to make that happen of our own. But you knew that in advance, and you sent your son in a very quiet, intimate way. An announcement has been made. Sin reigns no longer, but Christ is king. So in your name we pray.